Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. If you don't know this, Brian Kelly gets paid by the word... (laughs) And so he wants to talk some more. You want to talk? Go ahead, talk. No, that's okay. I guess, did I, I call One, him two, three, Cool four, Dugger? Yeah. Is that cool. what I said? I didn't even realize that. Cool Dugger. He is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I guess it works. backwards and everything. Yeah. Well, wow. he thinks he's cool. cool. Yeah, we'll talk about him later. Yeah. So you just made yourself 25 bucks. <laughs> I'm glad you're counting. <laughs> oh, there's some more. Oops. Yes, there is. I got to go. I got to go in the newsroom and do some work and do some news, and then I'm just trying to rack up the money here. Right, exactly. All right. Have fun. <laughs> Thank you. And, folks, as I said before, we'll be taking the Good Gardening Stroll shortly. If you have questions, concerns, or comments about your outdoors, your house plants, or whatever, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Saturday mornings we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard. What the heck is going on in that side yard landscape? Your front yard. Oh, you're kind of sad when you come home because it's not a very good welcome home. Especially garden space. A taste of the tropics. Those house plants. When do they go inside? What is potting mix? How to improve your soil? If what is shearing, what is pruning, how to get rid of those bugs and diseases. For information, to make good decisions, my thoughts, orchestrations, hopefully will open or solidify your options. With a final judgment on what action you're going to take is going to be yours. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important, another very important player in this game is Cool, C-O-O-L, Cool Dugger. That's according to Brian Kelly. And uh, it's actually Cole Duggar. But anyway, he's producing, and um, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. Written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And uh, you can get them on the Internet as well. During the week and weekends, sometimes I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage has my email address and phone number. Or you can get in contact with me, and we'll set up a time. I'll come to your home. Today, after the show, I'm headed to DePair of Ballas Road. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Speaking of cool, well, cool air this morning was a welcome. That was so nice. Crickets were cricketing. Birds of all kinds, from doves to robins, chirping and cooing and everything else. Squirrels were bouncing all over the place. And uh, where was I? Well, I was at Bell Reeve Park, which is at the corner of Bates and Broadway. It's a perfect location for sunrise. Uh, I was sorry to see as I pulled up the historic building, 
which has been there for who knows how long, has problems. And now it has fencing all the way around it and signs that say, danger. So there was some major cracks in this sort of ceiling roof of the building. So I thought, whoa. And uh, right next to it on the south side is the playground, which has just been built a couple years ago. And uh, beyond that, right between the playground and the building, there's a crab apple. And those crab apples, the fruits of the tree, are just now starting to turn color, heading red. There's a huge ginkgo tree. The foliage of the ginkgo tree is starting to show some yellow. And that's sort of a, there's a great sign down there. It explains the history of St. Louis, Louisburg, as it was called at one time. And then it was changed to Crondelet. The back side of the sign continues the historic story. The panorama, as you look to the south, you can see the upper park edge and it allows a river view skyline. In the distance, you can see the Jefferson Barracks Bridge. So you can really see a long way down there. Next, guess what? A nice wildflower area. Milkweed for monarchs. The St. Louis Butterfly Project with numerous sunflower family members along with three different types of milkweed. The sun continues to rise, highlighting the hornbeams, the sycamores, the burning bush, the oaks, the catalpas, the elms, the spruce, the pines. Barges sit waiting as the Mississippi rolls southward. Perfect morning to be at Bell Reef Park. Also, while I, while I was there, uh, a lady was walking her dog, and she lives there apparently, and she's very upset with the kind of the city because the city has stopped, let's say, maintaining some of the views of the river. So in other words, they let things get a little bit tall and growing, and uh, she's, she, apparently she contacts the city quite often and says, can you chop some of this stuff down so we can have a better view of the river rather than just letting stuff grow, grow, grow? So anyway, it was nice to talk to her. We spent about 10 or 15 minutes talking. She was sort of giving me the history of her. I guess she's lived in that area about 20 years, and she's walked multiple or a couple different dogs. You know, some dogs, you know, pass on because of age and everything else. But anyway. She was uh, uh, quite the story. I said, well, give me your name and I'll mention you on air. And she said, no, don't do that. I don't want my name on air because I'm considered to be a bad lady because I'm complaining all the time about the park here at Bell Reeve Park. Bell Reeve Park, corner of Broadway and Bates, fantastic park. And it could certainly have some of the stuff chopped down so you could see more of the river. That's what it's all about. So Mike Miller... KMOX Garden Hotline. We will be back after these messages. Yes, as we sit here at KMOX, I can actually, um, well, because of the angle of the building, I can't see the central library, but if I went over and just looked out the window, I could see it quite easily. So this is kind of a cool location. Uh, speaking of cool, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Cool will be ask, answering your call He'll ask for your name and where you're calling from, and then we'll just kind of take it from there. So anyway, you do have questions. And speaking of questions, how about uh, this is the time of year where you better get your landscape, your yard, your lawn areas measured because you're going to be putting down or having your your lawn service put down a pre-emergent coming up really, really shortly. And that's pre-emergent that you'd be putting down this time of year is to control the annual 
cool season weeds. The henbit, the chickweed, the annual bluegrass, the prickly lettuce, the Persian speedwell, the rabbit's foot clover, uh, shepherd's purse. Those are the ones that have dropped seeds multiple months ago. Those seeds have been just laying there, but soon they're going to be erupting and germinating. Pre-emergent, what it does is create a chemical barrier on the surface, and as the seeds germinate, so in other words, as the seed hull opens up and the growth starts coming up, it kills it off. So if you've had a history of a problem with those cool season annual weeds, and it actually will kill perennial weeds too, it will kill any kind of seed that's germinating. So if you're going to put this down, realize that Putting down lawns, you know, lawn seed at the same time, you're virtually just wasting your money. So you got to decide what you're going to go after if you're going to put a pre-emergent down. So just realize that this is the time of year where you need to get it down. Why don't we start off with uh, Casper? And Casper, how are you today? Pretty good. Um, Mike, I got a question for you. Um, what's the best time to thatch? And uh, how do we prevent bagworms? <laughs> there is no prevention of bagworms, basically. So what you can do is if you have the bagworms, the bags hanging on your junipers or whatever kind of tree. When we were, I was kids, or I was a kid growing up in Ellisville, Fitzers in front of the house. My father paid us a couple cents for each bag we pulled off those Fitzers, those junipers. And but stopped there, on them. <laughs> yeah, there, there is no prevention. So what happens is... Do they only attack evergreens or is it any tree? Well, basically, they go mainly after the evergreens, but, you know, slowly but surely, they've kind of morphed and now they're in other trees. But the problem I have with seeing them on deciduous trees is I don't see how they make the bag. Because a female gathers all, let's say, the conifer needles from the juniper and makes the bag. When the bag is fit, you know, finished and attached at the final location, what she does is die, but it's filled up with eggs. And those eggs, you, there is no insecticide that can penetrate that bag. Yeah, we're trying to rake up all the needles. You know, we think the pine needles were doing it, but I don't know if that's causing it. They have pine needles to build their bag on no the, they're gathering stuff off the actually off the branches so that's mm. whether you're getting stuff off the ground it doesn't make one bit of difference so in other words a female comes she you know lays the eggs you know on the on the plant and then those eggs hatch you know so or she makes the bag and then those hatch mm. so in the early spring just watch really closely they're going to be about a quarter to a half inch long then they're very susceptible once they they're coming they've come out of the bag for an insecticide to kill them what do you think the best spray to use on there is like an ortho or orthotoxin yeah it doesn't really matter just in a contact type insecticide just so your spray and actually hit the little bitty you know yeah but that's Does it do any good to I mean, close to like the bottom of the tree coming up or no? No, it has no. nothing. They fly in. They're moths, basically. Yeah, because, you know, they start to pop up, and then one leads to another, and before you know it, there's like 50 hanging on, <laughs> hanging on the branches. We're figuring well, you're just eventually not being, kill you're the not, tree. Yeah, you're not being conscious of what's going on. So one, one bag doesn't lead to another bag. They're completely separate. All right. Thank you for your help. Yeah, and you had another question, too, before we got into the bag. Oh, what's the best time to thatch? Oh, basically with a cool season lawn, just as they're coming out of the dormancy, which would be really soon, with the warm season, like the zoysas, you're going to do that in the springtime when it starts greening up. 
Yeah, we have Zoya. I guess we better wait. Yeah, don't do it this time of year. Going into wintertime to to dethatch, you create some you know major problems. And we aerate at the same time too. We can. You can aerate. do that. Yeah, do that in the springtime, and then right. you know spread some compost after you core aerate. Thanks for all your help. Certainly. Have a good show. You do the same, and Bye. thanks for having me on your show. Thank you. Uh, let's go now into Shirley's yard. Hi, Shirley. Hi. Hi. I want to uh, thank you for talking about Bell Reef Park. Oh. Uh, I grew up on the first house on Bell Reef, and in the summertime, we would hear the calliope playing from our house, and we would run up to the park so we could see the view of the Admiral as it went past Bell Reef Park. And it was just so nice. It was sad to hear that you said the building was kind of in disarray, but... uh, that's where we used to have play, have arts and crafts and stuff like that, and it was really nice to hear about it. That yeah, I was really surprised to see that. I mean, that's where the restrooms are, so yeah, now there's no yeah. longer restrooms there. Yeah. And, you know, that is, has to be a very historic building. I don't know when the building was built. I've well, walked around I grew up there during the 60s and 70s, yeah. and it was there then. Oh, and yeah, like I'm I sure. say, it was just, it was just part of the neighborhood and i mean i i lived on the street facing the bridge that walk goes up to the park ah. you know yeah yeah and i grew up there and got married there and, oh, and kidding. everything else Gee. so anyway i just wanted to thank you i thought that was really nice and i'm going to tell my brothers and sisters that i heard about it <laughs> well so. yeah i just wish the city would knock down some of the stuff so you could see more of the river but, oh, yeah. Uh, but see, it wasn't like that when I grew up there. I mean, you could see the river perfect. Right. And and there's the nursing home. I don't know if you know about that. That's right at the northern edge yes. of the park. Yeah, we used to go up there and talk to the people, well, you know, and great. they seemed like they enjoyed it, having little kids come up to the patio. And <laughs> we used to go down on the bluff, at which we, if our parents would have knew, we would have got our butt right. <laughs> whipped. But we used to go play on the bluffs and kind of, you know, watch the trains go by. Right. And it was just a fantastic place to grow up. Yeah, because right absolutely. at the bottom of the bluffs is where the train tracks are. Oh, yeah. Oh, we went down there on the train tracks, and that's another <laughs> thing that was a no-no. But you know how kids are Absolutely. <laughs> when their parents aren't right there. But it, it was just fantastic, like I say, and it was really nice to hear about it. Well, great. I'm glad I could uh, enlighten your day a little bit. Okay. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you, and uh, thanks for having me on your show. Let's go and see what's going on in Chuck's yard. Hi, Chuck. Hey, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. I've got a, uh, a fescue yard, well-established uh, Mixed with Bermuda grass, I, I know I'm never going to get rid of it, but uh, uh, every year when the uh, when the raccoons have their litters, the the mother of one or two of the the groups of them always come to my front yard to teach the little ones how to dig. And <laughs> what they're doing is they're digging in the Bermuda grass because uh, it's so easy to pull up, and uh, the Bermuda grass in spots dies not every not all of it dies i wish it would but uh so what i've got is 10 20 30 square foot individual areas that it's all torn up so it's dead i'm pulling it up i know i'll never get rid of the bermuda but um should i and i'm selling my house next year so i don't want to do anything radical to the grass so uh should i 
dethatch those specific areas and then uh, split seed, overseed this fall? Or should I just not dethatch and just plant fescue and not worry about it? Well, dethatching helps because it breaks up the surface of the soil. So then when you put the seed down afterwards with a seed starter's fertilizer also, the seed is in direct contact with the ground, with the soil, as opposed to just like kind of laying on the surface of thatch or something like that. So I would probably recommend doing the dethatching, then put the seed down, then follow that with a seed starter type fertilizer. Okay. Yeah, I just... uh uh, you know, I'm one of those lawn guys, but I, I just don't want to have uh, have radical changes in the yard when uh, when we're getting to sell next year. So, and I, certainly, I don't want to hurt the raccoons, but <laughs> I, I just like I just got to deal with what I got to deal with. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, you're very okay, compassionate. Mike, you. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's great. Speaking of raccoons, it makes me think of my childhood. I, you know, Davy Crockett always had a raccoon hat, and I had one myself. I think I still have it. So, it's raccoons, nice tail, hat, everything else. Well, thanks, Chuck. And thank you. Thank you. And now let's go and see what's going on with Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, Mike. Hi. I'd like to see if I could do some pruning of low tree branches that are hanging down. Is this okay to do at this time of the year? Just Yes. If they're longer branches, just make sure you cut it off in sections, one-third at a time, with the final cut either on the trunk or the la- the larger branch that's attached to. You're only going to leave about a quarter to a half-inch stub. Don't leave a you know six-inch stub. Don't leave a three-foot stub or anything like that because what happens if you do that? That causes complications as far as healing the pruning circumstance. So cut it off in sections again, and then with the final cut, just leaving a very short stub. That will expose the cambium layer, and the cambium layer then is what actually causes the scab and will you know, will cover the wound from the prune. Very good. Thank you. Certainly. And now let's go to Doug. How are you, Doug? I'm doing well. Uh, I have a question. We have a lot of uh, potted plants on the patio. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I water, I water with a sprinkler head on the hose, and I water until water floats on top. And then I just, then I go to the next plant. I, I water it until the water is floating on top, and then I leave it alone. Is that going to hurt the plants? If they look good, then absolutely not. Now, I will tell you with potted plants, because when you're watering that way, or with any of them, generally you water where you're going to, until you start to see the water coming out of the drainage hole in the bottom of the pot. That sort of like erases a lot of the nutrients. So it means with the, you know, with the potted plants, to have them really get, be most robust, or let's say the best they could possibly be, that would be a circumstance where every couple of weeks you should be fertilizing those plants. Okay, so fertilize more often while I'm doing that. Because right. Because uh, watering that way washes the nutrients out. Right, absolutely. I mean, that's just, there's no getting around it. Whether you water that way or you water like I do, I just basically, I have a lot of large pots and I just fill the pot up until the water comes up almost to the top of the rim and then I stop and then it just leaches down and then comes out the bottom drainage holes. But I fertilize every couple weeks. That's why I use a 
sprinkler head on there because rather than using a hose uh, and having it, uh, you know, kind of scour out a hole, I use the sprinkler head and it evenly distributes the water that way. Right. You're smart. Okay. Thank you. Yep. My wife wouldn't say that. <laughs> All right, Certainly. And if you have any questions or concerns, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll be back after these messages. Yes, folks, have questions or concerns or comments? Uh, we've got some lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We had all that rain this spring and early summer. I don't know when the last time we had measurable rain was, but it is very dry. So make sure that you start, you know, with your irrigation system or pulling a hose and a sprinkler or whatever, getting your ground, getting your plant material, root systems, get them moist because going into wintertime, dry soil slash dry roots, they can be damaged very easily by winter's temperatures. So this is really the time of year when you want to make sure that you get the water in the ground. And you basically every seven days you want about one inch of water. Well, you don't know how to long to run your, let's say, your faucet slash hose slash sprinkler. Well, just put a bowl out there or something and see how long it takes to actually get about an inch of water in there. I watered last week and uh, actually last Wednesday. And I watered, you know, in each spot across the front yard and the backyard, too, for about an hour because that's about how long it takes with the water pressure and, and the sprinklers I have to get a full inch and I'm not going to do it necessarily every seven days, but I want to. The ground is really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it again. The ground is really dry. Also, this time of year, uh, you're going to see a lot of powdery mildew on some perennials, on annuals, on lilacs, and on shrubs. Now, powdery mildew kind of looks like a gray fog on the leaves. It's really more an aesthetic problem than it is a problem with the, for the plant material. So just understand that. This is a time of year, too, or very shortly, you're going to start to see mums in the garden centers for sale. Now, this, these are ones that have been grown in greenhouses and everything else. And consequently, just realize that even though they're budded or their flowers are not open yet or anything else, if you plant them in the ground, the chances of their getting the root system established enough to be able to survive the wintertime may be a little iffy. So just you know, understand that too. If you're going to prune any of your hedges, make sure that the bottom of your hedge is wider than the top. So often I go to people's homes and they say, you know, we really don't like this because the bottom has no needles, has no leaves. And that's because over the years they've just kind of sheared the top. The top is much wider than the bottom and it overshadows the lower stems and branches of the hedge, whatever plant it is, whether it's a privet or a uh, a you or anything else. And so what you need to do is just slightly make the top more na- or ma- narrow, narrower than the bottom actually is. Other things that you need to be thinking about, this is a good time of year to start, you know, sort of planning on your spring flowering bulbs if you're going to purchase some new ones. And Brightside St. Louis is a great place, not for profit, to buy your bulbs. Also, obviously, your favorite garden center is a good place to buy as well. Let's head uh, over to Mike's yard. Mike, how are you today? I'm fine. I have a couple questions, if you can answer them quickly for me. First okay. of all, I just put some zoysia sod down. Okay. I've been watering it. It's in different spots, so I've been taking a hose and watering it. Uh, do you keep doing that, or do you eventually just let it 
grow. Well, it should. What you can do is keep watering it until you go out and just kind of tug on the piece of sod. And once you start to, you know, it, it resists. So, in other words, the root systems are penetrating in the ground. You can water okay. less often. Should I put some nitrogen on it or not? Uh, I wouldn't fertilize, no. You know, I okay. mean, a regular fertilizer, okay, but if you're talking about urea or something like that, you may cause some growth past the time when it should be, you know, it should be going to sleep and it won't be able to go to sleep because of the nitrogen. Okay. Is there a, something you can use to kill crabgrass and is it worth uh, trying? <laughs> Pre-emergent. So, but with, yeah. the, with the crabgrass, you know, that is a warm season, you know, weed so consequently, you're going to be putting the pre-emergent down next spring or next late winter when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. Yeah, I did that, but obviously I didn't get it everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so it's not worth trying to kill. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's nothing selectively going to kill the crabgrass per se if it's in your lawn. Okay, that's, that's good. And what about this other stuff? Some people call it water grass. It's really, really thick. It, it doesn't spread out like crabgrass, but it, it's, uh, I don't know how to describe it. it. It's got blades. It's really, really thick stuff. Um, I don't know. We can't it's, get rid of that either. Though. Yeah. Is it nutsedge? Do you know? Or is it? No, no, oh. it's, it's not nutsedge. It doesn't, it doesn't get tall. It just gets thick and spreads out. So it spreads out like a doily more or less. Yeah. So ba- in other words, that's another, you know, that's, you know, a cousin to the crabgrass. So there's okay. goose grass, there's foxtail, there's barnyard grass, there's crabgrass. So in other words, that is another thing you go after with a pre-emergence. Pre-emergent. Okay. Right. All right. Thanks for your help. And that's going to be next year when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. And the reason why I use right. that yellow forsythia is because the soil temperature causes the forsythia to bloom, and that's what causes, the, let's say, the annual warm season weed seeds to germinate. Okay. Thanks very much. Certainly. And now let's go to Don's yard. Hi, Don. Hey, good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. I got two quick questions. One is grasshoppers uh, eating roses and our hibiscus. And uh, the second is curled hibiscus leaves. Any thoughts? Uh, to uncurl them and see what's causing it. So uh, There's nothing there. So there's nothing there? Then it's probably re- related to maybe moisture or something along that line. Because usually if a plant, will, the leaves will roll and it's not caused by an insect, you know, you're looking on the underside of the leaf, right, not just the top. Right. Okay. So if you're looking and you're not seeing any insects at all, then it has to probably be weather-related more so than anything else. And as far as grasshoppers, they are vicious. And, I mean, that's the kind of insect that you almost have to squirt it right, the insecticide, right onto them. There's no preventative or anything else for the grasshoppers. Aha, uh-huh. okay. Well, we had a beautiful uh, Fiesta hibiscus that bloomed just immensely, and then after we had all that rain, it just totally stopped, and I'm guessing it was the root uh, system that didn't get established. That could be, very much so. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks a bunch. Thanks for your help, and thanks for your show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. If you, if you have any questions or concerns, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. We'll be back after these messages. Folks, I appreciate everybody that calls in 314-436-7900 or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. 
When Cole answers the phone, all he needs is your name and where you're calling from. Don't ask him the question because he's, I mean, he's great, but he doesn't understand quite. He's more of an electric kind of guy rather than a man of the dirt. So anyway, let's go to the phones and let's go into Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Wondering if they, if an established Shasta Daisy would reseed itself. Shasta Daisies are not really all that great at self-seeding. So it could, <laughs> but the chances of it doing that is somewhat limited. Why they don't, are not able to, when so many of the members of the sunflower family, like the black-eyed Susans, the brown-eyed Susans, the purple comb flowers, they do self-seed a lot, but there's plenty of members of the sunflower family that don't, like Coreopsis, Shasta Daisies, and other ones along that line. I tell you what, my flower bed is full of this year of these little plants that have exactly the same leaves as my big Shasta daisy. Well, maybe they've done it. I. <laughs> it's a miracle. Yes. <laughs> well, do you think they'll survive the winter? They should. I mean, if I don't, I don't think that you should definitely don't bury them underneath mulch or anything. Just leave them alone. Isn't that? Wouldn't that be something? Absolutely. Well, I'll just I'll just take care of them and see what happens next spring. Sounds perfect. Thanks, Linda. All right. Thank you, Mike. Yep. Bye-bye. And Mr. Kelly, are you in here for a reason? Yes, there is a news bulletin out of New York. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein has been found dead in his Manhattan jail cell, apparently a suicide. And, of course, he was facing up to 45 years in prison for sexual abuse and assault charges. And uh, again, Jeffrey Epstein has been found dead in his jail cell in Manhattan, apparent suicide, and we'll have more on CBS News at the top of the hour. Yikes. <coughs> and let's see, where do we want to go now? Uh, let's go to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Yes, uh, Mike, uh, my wife and I enjoy your show every morning on Saturday. And uh, I know we're all struggling to keep our yards uh, green and the weed free and our lawns are uh, looking great. But enjoying the central Illinois and enjoying my morning coffee, I'm looking at thousands of acres of farmland, which is truly a gift to, a, to the American farmer. Right. And I'm looking for weeds in soybean fields. I don't see any. I see green soybean, perfect length, perfect height. And then as you drive the county roads, you see the manicured easement from the cornfields and the soybeans onto the onto the road into the grass common area and i think it's a wonderful time for your listeners to just to step back and truly enjoy the gift of what the american farmer does for the, for america and so this is truly uh, kind of a miracle what happens in the in the farm fields and uh, i am envious of the american farmer yeah i agree i mean I had an appointment, uh, you know, out of the out in Augusta, which is west of here. And I mean, as I, I a lot of times, if I have a, enough time, I take sort of the non-direct way and just kind of cruise through various valleys and hills and over. And I was just amazed. This was probably two or three weeks ago at how well and how great everything went and looked. From an you know agricultural standpoint, and I mean it is a tribute to the actual farmers taking care and making this happen. I agree, and thank you very much, Mike. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. Now let's see where we headed, and uh, let's go to Lynn. Hi, Lynn. Lynn, are you there? How about Liz? 
Oh, Liz, sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Um, thanks for having this show, Mike. I listen to it every week. It's a ritual. <laughs> um, I have a question about bees. I have um, above ground, um, you know, plants in a thing that my garden is above ground. It's in a box. Okay. Anyway, I got some um, catnip from someone one time, and they said, oh, it's great. It'll attract the bees. I said, okay, well, I got it, and, I mean, it grows like a weed. Yes, it does. Um, yeah, but um, it does attract the bees, but the bees don't bother you. They're busy with their catnip. You know, I got it, like, right close to my box. But now, last year I saw a couple, and then this year I see a bunch I have holes in my ground around the garden area, and I, the other day I saw bees going down in there. Is is this something that's normal? Well, those are not technically bees. Those are ground hornets. Now, oh. ground hornets are kind of vicious. So yeah, usually they're going to be, they usually have the holes. They have exit holes, and they have the main entrance hole. But what the, the worker ground hornets are going out, they're gathering food to take it back and going into the ground and then feeding the queen so she can make it through the wintertime because the worker ground hornets don't make it. They can't survive the wintertime. The worst thing about the ground hornets is they also, if you sit out on your patio or your deck or whatever and you have drinks and stuff like that or food you're eating, they're going to be attracted to that too. And the ground hornets are vicious from the standpoint you start swatting at them, and they can sting and bite both. And they are really a, sort of a nasty, let's say, bee, even though they're not a, actually a bee. So they're a ground hornet. Do you have any suggestion on how to alleviate this problem or get, get well, you rid can, of them or just? Yeah, you Cover can try clogging up, up the hole. You can, you know, maybe pour some insecticide down into the hole or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I would get, if you can, definitely get rid of them because they, okay. can, they can be vicious. As a kid, I got into a ground hornet area, and I have kind of, I have curly hair. And even though my hair as a kid wasn't all that long, I had ground hornets get tangled up in my hair, and I got all kinds of stings. And bites. By the time I got home, uh, I looked like some kind of alien. My mother freaked out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. So, so, do you think? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, it's just that's just you know sort of a, a story of me being growing up in Ellisville with all the crazy stuff uh, oh. you know out there. <laughs> I got it. Um, do you think that this catnip? attracted them to because they didn't have them in years prior no it has nothing to do with they just ended up coming there they you know they usually will have the entrance and exit holes in a protected spot whether it's underneath the shrub whether it's underneath you know perennial like this so no it wasn't them that brought it in it wasn't the the plants in other words okay all right well these guys are pretty bold they're just right out in the middle of my yard this is so i mean (laughs) I'm just going to have to. I'll, all right, I'll take care of it then. I'll throw some stuff down their holes. Yeah, right. and, I mean, you could even try to flood them out. Well, I've done that because I water my yard like every other day or every third day, and I let the sprinkler run for a while, yeah. an hour or more. Yeah, just run the, yeah, run the hose right to the hole if you can find the hole, and just run it at a trickle so the water will run right down into the hole. 
Oh, great idea. All okay. Right. Thank you very much, and Certainly. thanks for your show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Now, Vivian, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good, Mike. Thank you for your show. I've listened for years. Yeah, can you do it kind of quickly? How do you get the top dressing down? Can you use a broadcast spreader or a rake, or what do you do? Yeah, well, you can just throw it and then rake it. There is you know, machines that actually will spread it as well. So there's a couple different ways to do it. Uh, you can rent the machines, you know, from St. Louis Composting. Uh, if the, I mean, you can actually just use a regular spreader too. So if you see big pieces in the compost, then just throw those out when you're putting it down, actually into your spreader. So you do that's the best way to do it. So Mike Miller, K M O X Garden Hotline. I will see you after the news. Folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline. Tip of the trial hour. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have a few lines open, and we can talk about your ideas, your questions, your concerns, or comments. But by the way, thanks for having me on your show, and we can discuss plant selection, the ups and downs related to your annuals. If your annuals have started to elongate and maybe not flowering as much as they have or were earlier in the season, uh, you can certainly try pinching them back, doing some fertilizing, stay on top of watering. That can make it a lot better. Your spring or your summer bulbs, your elephant ears, your cannas, your caladiums or things like that, they still got several months to do very good as far as as long as you take care of them. And this is pretty much anything this time of year. Uh, Your cool season edibles. This is a time of year where you want to start getting those lettuce, spinach, and those type things planted. And while you're harvesting your tomatoes and your peppers and things along that line. Your ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, cool season lawns. This is a time of year where you got to start accelerating and getting them ready to go into their burst of growth. And your perennials, your roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to maybe consider. Cole is running the board today, so when you do call in, all he wants to, from you is, well, he wants he's glad, and I am too, that you are calling, but he just needs your name and where you're calling from. So uh, During the week, I spend my time landscape consulting. I no longer do formal designs because I'm too old. You know, 70 years old, I had to start cutting back on certain things, and that was one. So landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number. You can contact me, and we can set up a time where I can come to your home and uh, share my, you know, sort of like 40 years, 40-plus years of experience with landscape, you know, plants, care, and maintenance. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. It's still a couple weeks away, but the Labor Day weekend, which is August 31st, September 1st, and September 2nd, which is actually Labor Day, the Japanese Festival will be happening happening at the Missouri Botanical Garden, and they're still going to have some. This year, they're going to have sumo wrestling. So this is the forty third annual Japanese Festival. So actually, 
the first or second, I can't remember which one, Japanese festival was when I was still working at the Botanical Garden and uh, in the English Woodland Garden. And then my final year at the Botanical Garden, I worked in the Climatron. Because in 1960, when I was in sixth grade, Climatron just opened. And then consequently, we took a field trip there. So I thought before I left the Botanical Garden grounds, I should go back and work in the, in the Climatron after four years in the English Woodland Garden. So, again, the Japanese festival, that's going to be Labor Day weekend and all kinds of stuff going on. So 43rd year, that's absolutely amazing. So if you want more information, you can go to www.mobot.org slash Japanese festival. Very easy. I mean, it's a great festival and all kinds of stuff going on throughout the you know, botanical garden related to this, but uh, specifically in the Japanese garden. So anyway, the tip of the trial goes out to the Missouri Botanical Garden for having the 43rd annual Japanese festival. So if you do have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's get a call or two before we go to break. Let's talk with Barbara. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, Two questions that uh, the, you've covered this before, I'm sure, but the maple trees that are dead at the top, like 30 feet uh, tall trees, uh, is there a chance that will come back next they, year? No. Basically, if they're, if they're defoliated entirely, that's not to say that they couldn't, but usually that's not going to be the case. No, the bottom half, uh, you know, leased out. Right, but, the bottom's, yeah, t- you know, that's fine. But the top, if it doesn't have any leaves on it, has a has there been leaves this year at all? No. Oh, so no, those were... So can you cut that off and let it uh, uh, fill out again, hopefully? Yeah, I mean, you can... Always, it's always good to get dead wood removed from the trees because that can attract more problems, not necessarily from a disease okay. standpoint, but it can attract insects that can be problematic from the standpoint, let's say, boars right. or something along that line. Hey, can, uh, secondly, can you put pre-emergence in big flower beds that have lots of weeds? Uh, as long as those are annual weeds, yes. And as long as whatever perennials that you have in that bed space, they're not self-seeding perennials. So, in other words, it kills any kind uh-huh. of seed whatsoever, so you can put a pre-emergent in there. It's probably with a pre-emergent in bed spaces. There's a specific product for bed spaces called Preen, P-R-E-E-N. Right. That's what I right. would Right, and I did use it one year and applied it incorrectly. <laughs> uh, but, uh Yeah, I couldn't grow vegetables that year. Uh, but uh, the Rebecca and the daisies, the coneflowers, you know, uh, they are reseeders, so uh, I can't spread it in there. Well, you can, but you're basically they're still going to come back from the root system. So, in other words, purple coneflowers, they, you know, they uh-huh. do drop seeds. Those seeds will germinate. But the mother plant that produced the flowers, that produced the seeds, consequently, it will come back anyway because it's not coming back from seed. I see. I see. Oh, okay. I see. So... Uh, I'm just so tired of pulling the weeds in, um, you know, 30, 40-foot uh, flower beds. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a lot of work. Down There's no now. getting around it. Uh, yeah, I, and it comes back again in a week or two. <laughs> um, 
so so I can put that down this August. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, well, it all depends on what what kind of weeds that you have. Do you have the let's say the the cool season weeds are actually going to be germinating this time of year? Yeah, I don't I don't know the weeds. I'm bad about knowing what kind of weed. Uh, kind of a round head, lime green. I want to say uh, individual. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of stems. tough to tell. Uh, just look. I know. Yeah, just look up annual cool season weeds online, and you'll see there's okay. there's about eight or ten major ones. Because if okay. you put the pre-emergent down now, it's not going to help with the weeds that are actually growing right at this moment. Right, but I don't want them again next year. Right. <laughs> I've got so many. Okay. Okay, I'll go with that. All right. Thank you. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, let's head over to Bill's house. Bill, how are you today? I'm okay. Good. Great. I wish you were here to help me dig this uh, ditch. (laughs) I can dig pretty well. Now, I don't know what you're digging with or what kind of ditch, but make sure you're digging digging with a spade and not a shovel. Well, I'm using a spade and a shovel. Oh, really? All right. Play. So it's 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 more fun than I can shake a stick at, but I can't afford $1,000 just to have somebody dig up my septic tank grain. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, I, I'm getting ready to move that shed, and I'm worried about well, the pineys don't bother me too much, or the peonies, depending on which part of the state you're from. Right. But uh, the rhubarb, should I dig it up, or should I cut it back when we move the building? Now, you're not going to put the building right on top of it, right? No. Okay. So so you're just talking about moving the... You're going to be driving something that you're going to lift the shed up with, and... Yeah. That, so you might... If you could, I would say get them out of the way. But okay. if you, if it's a lot of work, then I'd say just keep your fingers crossed and see what happens. And then I have two grapevines that need to move, but I don't think that'll be a big deal. Well, it depends upon how big the grapevines are. Well, this I mean, is this year or so. Oh, because I mean, some I mean, some of the grapes you can see this. You know, let's say more or less the trunks coming up out of the ground for the grapevines. It yeah. some of them can be like three or four inches across. Well, we had a in our former house in Irvington. We had we had a. 35 or 40 year old grape. Whoa. That Conquered was big. Grape. Yeah. It, it used to give us bushel baskets of stuff. So. Wow. That's great. But, but I, it's gone now. So. <laughs> I would say, you know, with your peonies or with the rhubarb, you can take a chance and just see what happens. Or if you would just want to be sure, just dig them up and put them, you know, in pots and, you know, get them out of the way and then put them back in to where they are. Okay. Thank you very much for all your information. Well, thanks for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate it. And let's go ahead and just stay with uh, Bill and only a different Bill. Bill, how are you today? Well, I'm very good. Thank you, Mike, for taking my call. Sure. Uh, My challenge is my yard, uh, as it is every year. And uh, it's a fescue lawn. But I guess the problem is I'm wondering if I can convert from a uh, sprinklers to to no sprinklers to to no scheduled watering. Uh, my neighbors on either side, neither one has any kind of uh, irrigation, any sprinkler systems, and uh, their yards are still green, and mine's 
uh, pretty bad shape this year. Well, it just depends. I mean, their yard might look good, but they may have, like, say, like a lot of, of the warm season grasses, the crabgrass, barnyard grass, and all that other stuff. That all looks green, but it just depends upon if you're a purist and you want to have your lawn, you know, be a fescue lawn, then I would say you should, you know, continue with the irrigation. Or you can take the philosophy my father had, and his philosophy was, if as long as it's green, he didn't care, and that was fine with him. Okay, because I read different things online, university studies and, and things, and uh, some say if you water once a week, uh, is fine, and then you have to water deep, and other places are watering almost daily. And then when I drive down the road sometimes, I guess it is a blend of different grasses, but there's so many areas that never get anything but just rainfall, and, and they're just so green. I don't know if, uh, you know, if I could just have that happen to mine. But well, you're guess- not, it's not going to be a fescue lawn if you do that. Their lawn okay. is, you know, actually weedy grasses. So whether it's barnyard grass, crabgrass, you know, car, you know that's what you're seeing in their in their circumstance. If they're not doing if they're not doing any watering, my guess is they're not doing any fertilizing. They're not doing any core aerating. Growing lawn here is not easy, and I mean it costs a heck of a lot of money, mental money and real money both. And that's where the real trouble comes in. The commitment is totally insane. You know, so that's kind of what you're looking at. And there's no way to get out of this insanity if I want a beautiful fescue lawn. No. There isn't any. And still, I mean, and watering every day is totally crazy because usually when people do that, they're only watering for 15, 20 minutes or even a half hour. And consequently, you go out after you've run your irrigation system that long, that short of a period of time, and you dig down, I bet you just below the surface, there is no moisture at all. And you've got to have water for longer periods of time so it penetrates deeper into the soil so it can actually help the root system of your fescue lawn. Okay. And this is, I guess, my last question about the lawn. Uh, talking with uh, the company that, that treats my lawn as well, uh, we were discussing, like, if I turn my, my sprinkler schedule, let's say, to uh, run five minutes per zone, but to do that about, like, six times so there's less runoff and more absorption. Does that make sense to you? No, <laughs> it doesn't. Well, I okay, mean, five so minutes, in five minutes, most of it's going to evaporate in the heat of the summertime. So, but as soon as five minutes every zone, then it comes back on again, again, and again. Right, but still five minutes is not going to penetrate into the ground. Okay, do you think I, could, I should run like 10 over and over again for the morning? Well, you know, again, I go for like three times a week for longer periods of time, like half hour, 40 minutes, or something like that. Three times a week, 30 minutes, 40 minutes per zone. Okay. Right. I will have to take out a loan for that then. <laughs> Okay, well, Mike, you've answered all my questions. Uh, thank you very much. Well, sure. Thanks for having me on your show. And now let's go to Donna, and she lives in Litchfield. Hi, Donna. Hi. I want to know um, when's the best time to prune a magnolia tree. Uh, basically, if you prune it now, you're pruning off the flowers. I'm assuming you're talking about magnolias that bloom in the springtime, or are we talking about magnolias that bloom in the summer? They bloom in the summer. They bloom most of the whole, whole year. In this whole year. <laughs> so probably... Uh, 
If that's the case, then you can go out and look at your magnolia at the end of the branches. You should start to see, you know, the fuzzy buds, which are the flower buds for next year. Right. If you if you prune and you remove those buds, then you're not going to have the flowers for next year. Okay. So when would be the best time in the spring then? Or what, yeah, right basically. After they, well, they bloom almost, you know, constantly through the year. Yeah, that's kind of a rare magnolia. Usually they don't do that. Usually they're either spring bloomers or they're, you know, summertime bloomers. So, okay. So well, they bloom in the spring and they bloom during the summer. Wow. You Believe got... it or not, maybe it's not a magnolia. It just it says it is. I don't know. <laughs> 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 when we, it's been there for a long time. Um, hmm, I don't know. So, when was the best time when it does bloom all year long? Any tree, I guess. Well, whatever the tree it is. Yeah, I guess. there's usually not too many trees that bloom all the time. But I would say probably. You know, there's got to be a, a major flush or something where you're going to have more flowers at one time versus the same. Yeah, age. that's true. Now, that's true. It does bloom most in the spring, so yeah. right now would not be a good time. Yeah, basically you'd be cutting off the flowers for next spring. So if, after the major flush of spring flowering, that would be the time to prune it. Okay. Thanks a lot, and thank for your service. Certainly. Thank you. And let's see, where do we need to go? Tower Grove South into Roger's Yard. Hi, Roger. How you doing, Mike? Good. Hey, I got a question for you. My backyard, or actually uh, the back end, the front, uh, I had zoysia there about 10 years ago, got like a fungus, and it died out. So I had tall fescue planted like for the last 10 years, and it's been doing really great. But now the zoysia's kind of taken back over the backyard this wintertime, like the whole backyard was almost uh, brown. And that's so I wasn't going to seed the tall fescue in the back, but I get that hen bit every year, and I want to use a pre-emergent. And you, that's like a, it's dry, isn't it? And it comes in a bag? Uh, yes, right. And do you use, like, can you use a regular grass seeder to put that on? Yeah, you should be able to, depending upon what type it is. But, yeah, that's, I mean, you have to have a spreader to actually, you know, put it down. Okay. So but that, like you would for, like, the seed ones where you walk behind? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, in other words, the henbit is a cool-season weed, so this mid to late August is when you want to put that pre-emergent down for the henbit. Okay. Uh, the next question would be, if you aerate after the pre-emergent, does that affect it? Will it not work as well? Or? Yeah, absolutely. You, what you want, you don't want to disrupt this, you know, this barrier. Okay. So in other words, a pre-emergent, after you put it down, you're going to water it, and it creates kind of a, let's say, a, a sheet on the surface. And if you start breaking that up, you know, with the core aeration or something, you're basically kind of wasting your money on the pre-emergent. Gotcha. That's what I kind of thought, but I wanted to double check. The guy who does my lawn, he kind of looks at me with three heads when I talk about I have a cool season uh grass, and he doesn't really want to deal with it too much. He'd rather just use, like, we'd be gone afterwards and that, but that's kind of a pain, so I thought I would rather have it aerated, but he won't come out till September, so I think I'm going to skip the aeration this year and just probably use the pre-emergent. That sounds smart. So that would probably be the best way to do it, you think? Right. All right, well, thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks for coming on my show. I really loved it when you came on there. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see you later. Thanks. Thank you. And next time I do come on your show, uh, could you have some cold water for me to drink? I'm drinking some right now for you, buddy. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) All right, bye now. And let's get one more call before we take a break. And let's see where we want to go. Let's go into Ann's yard, and she lives in West County. Hi, Ann. Uh, Yes, Mike. I have some zinnias, and I want to save... I want to dry them and save the seeds because of their color. I was told to store them in a dry, cool place. 
where would you recommend that place be? Because if it's, I put them in the garage, they're going to freeze. I put them in the refrigerator, I thought they might be too cold. Would you have an idea about that? Yeah, just make sure you put them in a paper bag, not a plastic bag, first of all. And then also okay. just in the basement. So, you know, someplace where, you know, there's no, like, <laughs> light coming in a basement window that's going to strike the bag. But you, you don't have to okay. do anything beyond that. And if it's okay. seed, to be honest with you, they should, the seed should be able to survive in your garage. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I mean, you could try it to make sure and put half of it in the basement, half of it, half the seeds in the garage and see what happens. But I keep seeds okay. from, like, moonflower vine, seeds from castor bean plants, all, you know, other types of seed that I just gather off plants that I have. I keep them in the garage, you know, until the next year or whenever I want to plant them. Oh, okay. I, just, I was just concerned that would be too cold, but I guess it'd be okay. No, they okay. won't freeze. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Certainly. But again, make sure you put some in the basement just in case, and you can call back next year and say, that Mike Miller, you told me to do. Anyway, thanks. Thanks, Ann. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, just to review, again, the pre-emergence for the cool season annual weeds or other seeds. I mean, perennials do drop seeds, too, like dandelions and things like that. Well, these were seeds that were dropped last spring. They've just been laying around in your lawn or in your bed space or whatever it happens to be. And then consequently, they wait till the temperatures start cooling down. This morning, it was like 62. So guess what? Though These cool season annual weeds, they're going to be starting to germinate very, very soon. So understand that. Where are we going to head? Let's go to Pauline, and she lives in South County. Hi, Pauline. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, thank you. I I had a suggestion for the person who has a problem with the ground hornets, and it has worked for me, but it is a suggestion. Uh, near dusk, as the ground hornets start to go back into their little uh, holes or their homes, right? Uh, take barbecue uh, charcoal starter fluid and uh, just point it to the holes and hit all the holes. Uh, and uh, honestly, they go away. They're <laughs> dead. Yeah, they're dead. <laughs> right. I've never heard of the barbecues, you know, thing. But, uh, yeah, in the evening, that's, I mean, these guys are not going to be out after dark, so that is by far the best time to do any kind of control. Um, well, the only thing is don't, you know, smoke a cigarette or anything close <laughs> to those holes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty safe that way because I don't smoke. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> but anyway, that was the thought. All right. Thanks, Pauline. Greatly appreciate it. And let's see now. Go to Mary, and she lives in University City. Hi, Mary. Hi. Hi. Um, yeah, I bought some crepe myrtle plants in the summer, and I thought it was too hot to plant them because it was, you know, it's so hot I didn't want to have them go through any kind of heat stress. And I've been watering them. They look really good. They have purple leaves, but they're kind of turning green a little bit. Mm -hmm. And they're doing real good. And I wanted to know when's the best time to and um and how to plant them. I have a pretty heavy clay soil like most of Missouri. And, and if I should mulch them in the fall, because some people have said they're really not perennials in this part of the country, but I've seen them grow, you know, year after year when people plant them. Well, a crepe myrtle or shrubs are not technically perennials. So, okay. in essence, 
what you want to do is dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball. So in other words, whatever size container they are, at least three times, but only about 80% is deep. So you want at the top of the root ball above the surrounding ground. You should mix in some compost with that, you know, soil that you're going to backpack, you know, and put back into the hole backfill after you dig the hole and everything else and you have it setting. And then put one or you can put in, probably just a couple inches of mulch around it, but uh, that's what you really need to do. And I would get them in the ground soon because this is the time of year where it is really the ground is warm, and that's going to trigger more root growth than the springtime. Springtime, a lot of people, they rush because we're so sick of wintertime. But planting in the spring, the ground is cold, and it takes it a long time before there's going to be active growth of the root system, and that by planting now, this is the ideal time to do it. Oh, okay. And you said dig the hole 80%. What did you say about 80%? As deep. So in other words, you want the top of the root ball above the surrounding ground. So if there's any settling at all, it won't settle where you get a depression around the plant. And then consequently, water could pool around there and actually cause, let's say, root rot. So three times the diameter of the root ball, but only 80% as deep. And, And three times the diameter of the root ball. Right. So in other words, okay. that the the wider the hole, you're doing that because lateral growth of any kind of plant you put in is the most important root growth. So that's uh-huh. where the feeder roots are. The depth, you know, the roots that go deeper, yeah, they do anchor, maybe keep it from falling over and other stuff. But lateral root growth is crucial, essential for the overall health of whatever kind of plant. Okay, and then I probably don't want to mulch them right up to where the stems are coming out. I want to leave a little space. Yeah, you can leave. Yeah, put it like make it a you know a bagel type thing. Right, right. Okay, and uh, somebody suggested putting rocks in the bottom of the hole. They said if you overwater it or whatever, the water will drain down there and just settle around the rocks. And I've done that before, but I I didn't really think that was necessary. No, it doesn't help. Because, I mean, the, the soil is going to percolate down there and fill in that space anyway. So, the, I mean, if that, that's kind of – if you want to do that, that's fine. It's not really going to make that much difference. The how okay, and how much hole, compost in ratio to the soil? Uh, probably like 10 or 15 percent. Okay, and just get good quality compost. Right, and just mix it in with the existing soil before you backfill. Okay, okay. Um, and one last question. I've had them actually in my driveway, really close to the hose. It's been hot, and I thought, I'm going to make this easy till I plant them. So they've been getting plenty of water. Now, where I'm going to plant it, it's a little harder to water, so I know they're going to have to get used to a little less water. Um, I guess just kind of slowly acclimate them to being a little bit more dry. Right, and, I mean, that's kind of the reality of the circumstance. Because whenever you bought them at a nursery, the nursery is probably going to water more than you've actually done in your own home. So the plants, you know, they're, they're pretty tough and they're going to be heading towards dormancy because we're headed, you know, the days are getting shorter, it's getting cooler. So they need less water during this more dormant period. They still need water, but they need it less than when it's super hot. Right, right. Okay. And should I fertilize them anymore? Or no, should I just forget no, about them? no, no fertilizer. No fertilizer, and they can survive winter here. They can come back every yeah, if, year. If they're, you know, true crepe myrtles, I mean, you see crepe myrtles all over the metropolitan area. Yeah, I have too. I've seen them all over, right. you know, in my neighborhood. I know I've seen, uh, true, you know, they get pretty large. Yeah, from some what of I've them seen. can get, you know, I've seen them two stories high, huge. 
Most yeah, my neighbors don't. suggested to cut them back, and I, I guess I should probably do that in the spring. Exactly, before the new growth, before any leaves or anything show up on the plants. Okay, like late March? Uh, well, it's weather dependent. Sometime mid, mid-March, you can probably prune them. I wouldn't do too much pruning after that. Just wait. If you start to see leaves coming off the stems, don't do any pruning. If you see leaves coming off the stems, don't do any pruning. Right. Okay. Okay, all right. Well, thanks for all the suggestions, and uh, that's great. I hope I have success with them because I've been wanting them for years, and they were on sale, and they were good quality. So I'll keep my fingers crossed, do what you said, and hopefully they'll be beautiful shrubs. Yes. It'll be, okay, should. thanks for the show, well, our th- show. You know, I listen every Saturday, and well, I great. get lots of good information. So well, thank it's great. you. All right, thank you. Mm -hmm. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Heading to the Valley of the Flowers, in other words, Florissant, that's where Susan lives. Hi, Susan. Thank you. Um, I have a Japanese maple uh, blood good that I put in. It's about five feet. I put it in last, I guess, August, September. And um, it's doing really good, except some of the leaves, I'd say 15, 20% of the leaves, they look like they got little holes in it, I noticed. Is that from the heat? It could be heat. It could be hail. It could be insects that are no longer there. It could be lots of different things. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Okay. And the coloring of it seems to be like getting like a lighter orange. Some of it's got the red leaves. Will that get darker as it gets into the fall? Well, not necessarily into the fall, but probably it's immature. It doesn't have enough root system established, you know, to to get the nutrients, to get the moisture and everything up, to get the, you know, let's say the blood good maroon color that you're looking for. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah, it's probably premature, you know, leaf dropping. That's the ones that are discoloring. So not too much to worry about. Okay. Thank you. Yep. All right. Bye. And let's go now to O'Fallon and into George's yard. Hi, George. Good morning. Hi. Got a comment and a question. Um, Comment is basically... There are other uh, bees that nest in ground besides the ground hornets that are beneficial. So make sure you know what you've got before you start uh, doing any kind of killing out there because there are, bees need all our help we can give them. Absolutely. Yeah, I and should also, have made mention of that. Yeah. And also the, we had a Bradford pear taken down and stumped ground down. Now there's a bunch of wood chips. I want to eventually use that space for a garden. Um, how long would it take for those chips to, you know, ground down to where I could use it as a mulch? Uh, multiple years, to be honest. Multiple years, really. Yeah, it's a, it's a long, involved process. And also you've got right below the ground, even though the stump's been ground out, you still have viable roots. It takes them multiple years to finally implode and stop being actively, you know, let's say competing with something. So you're looking at an extended period of time, three to four, maybe even five years, before you're going to have great success planting over the top of this space. So like me digging out all those uh, wood chips and the roots and then putting in some soil? Well, you're, you're not going to. Yeah, you can't dig out the roots. I mean, there's just too many, especially if it was a larger, mature one. So uh, if you wanted to do maybe a raised bed over the top of it after a year or yeah, two. that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. after I'd still wait for a couple years. Even if you dig out all the wood chips and everything else and do as much as you possibly can, there's still a lot of wood underneath there. And as these wood chips or as the root system implodes, 
and you know rots away, it does you know bind up nutrients and cause problems for anything that you put over the top of it to try to grow. Okay. I'll just watch a bear spot for a while, I guess. Right. <laughs> or put a bird bath there or something along that line. There you go. All right, Michael. Thanks. <laughs> Certainly. And now let's go to Highland in into Gene's yard. Hi, Gene. Hi. Hi. Uh, my question is, sir, is uh, on a burning bush. When do you trim them that back? I have one that's about, oh, it's four feet high and about, uh, oh, 36 inches or more wide around, and it's next to the home, and it's getting too tall. Basically, with a burning bush, it doesn't really matter. They're pretty tough and durable. I wouldn't prune them in the heat of the summertime, but other than that, you can prune them whenever you want. And how low do you cut them? Well, you shouldn't cut it too much. I mean, genetically, even if you've got a dwarf burning bush, that thing is, you know, seven feet high, seven feet wide. So it sounds like maybe putting this particular plant where you have it right now is just going to be a problem for years and years, and every few years you're going to have to go after it. Oh, uh uh-huh. So, therefore, after the heat passes, maybe I can cut it back. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're getting cooler nights already. So sometime, let's say, after Labor Day, you can prune it all the way up until, I don't like to prune too late in the season. So between Labor Day and Halloween, that's when I'd get the pruning done. Okay. Uh, And then, would uh, like it has leaves up on the top part, but, you know, the lower branches are down inside don't have leaves. Right. Inside. The interior of any plant is not going to have any kind of leaves, whether it's a boxwood, whether it's a burning bush, because there's no sunlight getting into there. Okay. And so So you you don't advise cutting it way down, correct? No, I don't. Because, I mean, recovery is going to be ugly at best. Okay. And my other question is uh, hydrangea. I had one. It's got real big leaves, beautiful greenery. It had one bloom. Have one you ever, flower on it. Have you ever had a bunch of flowers on it? Uh, not really. It's been planted about five years. And one if, time I had maybe four or five. Yeah, if I, I, I would back, say it's probably a, a bad space, a bad plant. I would give up on it. Oh. As long as it looks healthy, I mean, you can keep it, but as long as it looks healthy, you got good foliage and everything else, if it's not flowering, there's, you know, it's variety-wise or something else. Okay, and when do you cut that back? Uh, when's it, when did it flower? Oh, probably in the late spring. Okay, so then you don't want to, probably after it finishes flowering, that's when you do the pruning. Oh, so it's too late now. Yep. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. I appreciate your uh, answers. Well, thank you very much, too. And uh, Roger, Sam, Phil, and Lee, I don't think we're going to get a chance to get to you today. So uh, hopefully the Garden Hotline will be around uh, next week. And uh, for people who have roses, you can still you have black spots. You can put a fungicide on your roses. But this is a time of year where you stop putting fertilizer down that has nitrogen in it. You want your roses to start heading towards, you know, dormancy. So we're at mid, you know, let's say mid, the mid-August. Your iris, if you've had iris and the classic flag-type iris, 
They didn't flower this past spring. That clump or that fan will probably not flower at all. So you might as well just you know dig it up and give them the give them the toss. Other things that you need to be thinking about. This is the time of year again for getting the pre-emergence down. The pre-emergent is really really important if you've had an annual cool season weed problem. So this is what it's all about. I mean. Uh, no, not a cool season weed. Does he know what he's talking about? No, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Anyway, you got to call, call in next week. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.